Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hello, and welcome to From Lab to Launch by Qualio. We're glad you're tuning in today. I'm Kelly, your host, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Before we jump in, just a reminder to please rate the show and share it with any of your science nerd friends. We know you have some. Also, check out the show notes if you have a story or a product you'd like to share with us. We love hearing from you. Today, we're welcoming Dwayne Mancini. He's the CEO and managing partner of Project MedTech and proud to be a nerd of the MedTech industry. Yay, nerds. Dwayne has extensive experience in go-to-market strategy, including regulatory reimbursement, biocompatibility, preclinical efficacy testing, and clinical trial design and execution. With all of the complexities of running a medtech company and taking a product to market, Dwayne partners with startups to develop strategies and milestones. He runs the Project MedTech's podcast series, which has over 120 episodes, of which I've gotten to participate. Thank you for that. We're excited to jump more into the medtech world and what companies need to think about from inception to market. Dwayne, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Switching roles. Right, right. Yeah, it's great to be talking to someone who also runs a podcast. It's it's kind of fun, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something I was a little intimidated by at first, but now I'm having so much fun talking to all these people. I can't imagine not doing this. Yeah, it's a weird feeling for sure, especially as you build that like number of episodes up. You're just like, what did I do before? <laughs> right, right. Well, and just the, the the conversations, the, you know, the for us at least it's a lot of, you know, innovators. Mm-hmm. I I was just talking to someone who's using, you know, um computer generated personality technologies like he used to work for EIA Games, and he's using this to improve the clinical trial space. Like the applications are so incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so knowing all of that, tell us a little bit about how Product MedTech got started. Yeah, so uh, Project MedTech was founded in 2020. Um, I was leaving a company called uh, Namsa. They're a CRO in the medical device space, and I was heading over to a um, a company called Covance at the time that had been acquired by LabCorp. And I had had this idea for how I thought startups, where I thought there were gaps in in, in for startup companies, and um, it was too early to do anything about it. So I said, let me launch a podcast and see if maybe just talking about some of these issues would have been helpful. So that's how we got our start. We started in 2020, April of 2020, to be exact, um, started the podcast. And then um, over the next year and a half, added a couple of co-founders and um, launched our consulting advisory practice and um, expanded our podcast into another podcast called MedTech Money. Um, and then also ran some events. Fun. It's yeah. um, it's it's good to see the organic growth around helping companies get to market too. I feel like there's so many great ideas out there, but people have no idea. Like, okay, I have this idea for a med device. How do I get it into a patient's hands? Like, that's yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing, and 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 resources are generally. St- you know, you're kind of strapped for cash and then therefore resources. And so you need to come up with innovative ideas to help get that product through some of that de-risking process. And so uh, that's kind of where we started to form Project MedTech. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so 
One of your specialties is evaluating how early decisions in a company may impact other aspects in the future. Mm -hmm. This perspective is critical for med advice companies. What are some of the best or worst stories uh, you've you've got or you've seen of like having or not having this perspective as they try to navigate? Yeah. So I'll start with the really early one that we see happen a lot, uh, and that's going to be going to the FDA in some format, whether it be a pre-submission meeting um, or uh, through the 513G process, right? So we've seen companies, the 513G for pretty obvious reasons can be very detrimental to a company. Because um, once you go through that process, that's that's how the FDA is going to classify your product. And so there's very, it, it, it could be a hard procedure, especially if you're very new and you're looking for that first thing to go, well, I'm moving the needle. A lot of times people start in the regulatory area, right? And they'll go, well, I'll, I'll do this 513G. So we've seen one that... Um, uh, teeter on the line of a drug versus a device. Uh, they were definitely a device, but they wrote their 513G like a research dissertation. Um, oh, and no. They got classified as a drug. And so once that happens, that's kind of the nail in the coffin for you in the, in the US, right? I mean, that goes from like a five-year process to a 20-year process. And so <laughs> um, yep. that that one stings. Um also, companies go into pre-sub meetings before they really are. Or they they kind of go by themselves without like a regulatory consultant or a quality consultant. And that could be hard, too, because those meetings are very strategic. I think any good regulatory consultant would tell you that. And so from a regulatory quality side, that's the one um, that I wanted to bring up. Um, the other one that really comes to mind um, is keeping commercialization in mind um, at all times, right? Even through regulatory, you know, what claims do you want to make? Why do you want to make them? What's your reimbursement pathway look like? Um, the hardest thing you will do as a med tech company is sell your product. Absolutely. The FDA. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> that's my big thing there. I've seen that fail over and over again in my time in the startup space as well. And I'm not a regulatory expert, I'm a quality expert. And so I'm always looking at scalable quality systems. And um, one of the things that drives me nuts whenever I deliver a design control process to a company, usually it's to an innovator who maybe has maybe somebody on the clinical regulatory side who's thinking about those things, but not really. And one of the requirements I always put in there is what is your reimbursement pathway? And they're like, you know, what is your market share? What what does that landscape look like? And they're like, why do I need to think about that right now? And I'm like, you could have the coolest product in the whole wide world. And it's different because of X, Y, and Z. And it's amazing. And you believe in it. And I love that for you. But the reality is that in the hospital space, you're one of 30 on the shelf. And they're all charging. They're not even reimbursable because they're billed as part of a package. They're not even an individual unit. And you think people are going to pay you $300 for this thing? Yeah. Right? It, it, and so it's... Yeah. it's isn't that mind blowing? It's, it's 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 spot on, and this is this is this is what we try to educate them on. Is we'll see people go, well, yeah, I figured out reimbursement. I have a CPT code, or I have a HICPIC code, or all this stuff, and it's like, no, 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 no. Who is paying for your product? Right? Yeah, that's the simple part of reimbursement, and and we do we do a very. I heard this from a guy named Nick Anderson. He was um, on one of our uh, virtual events we did. Uh, he did a thing on reimbursement and he kind of gave the rundown of look at, at the simplest level, 
the U.S. healthcare system is this, and it's a little cynical, but you need to figure out where you fit in from a business perspective. It's we all pay money into a bunch of piles of money, which is insurance, and the healthcare groups across the 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 country, their only mission is to extract as much money from those piles as possible. So if you don't help a healthcare system extract money or keep more money over here, you really don't have a business model. Nope. Um yeah, so so that's that's a pretty basic way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then all ties back into your design process and your cost of goods sold and all of those kinds of things that people are like, why do I need to think about that right now? Mm -hmm. Oh, because (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you can go get a clearance. That's great. Yay. You met your milestone and you can't sell a unit. And I have seen that. uh, Well, I'm sure you have too. Lots of Mm -hmm. times. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so unfortunate. Yeah. Well, as long as we're riffing on what things med tech founders need to know (laughs) besides the reimbursement pathways, what else would you add to that uh, conversation? Yeah. So I would say, for what founders need to know as as the founder if if you're in this like CEO role just be prepared um it's lonely and it's a long process um so depending on on and not all founders are going to assume that role but if you find yourself in that chair you just have to be prepared for the fact that it's it's stressful and and most people aren't going to understand the level of stress that you are going through and the level of weight that is on your shoulders, right? And we talk to all of our entrepreneurs about this. It's just it's just difficult. Um, and to kind of tie into that piece, find yourself co-founders who complement your skill sets. Um, we see a lot of entrepreneurs who um, try to be everything, uh, try to go at this alone. And it takes a village to to build a successful med tech company. And so we we encourage entrepreneurs to think about that, um, especially as they grow of, you know, who who should be on your team? What are you really good at? What do you need to mix in? And that's really where that conversation comes in of as a founder, are you becoming a CTO? Are you becoming the COO? Are you becoming the CEO? I mean, what how are you? Where's your role in this team based on your skill set and what you want to do? Yeah, absolutely. And and a real, I think I would add to that, a real honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses so that you can make sure your team complements you. You know, I've, I've worked with a lot of those where it's like, well, I'm the founder, I want to be the CEO. And it's like, eh, are you CEO material? Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah, or or the CTO, right? Like I mm-hmm. worked with one, uh, the same one where I was talking about the whole Medicare reimbursement situation. Our CTO was the innovator and he was a lovely gentleman in his 70s who just wanted to retire, but he wouldn't let go of the control over. Mm-hmm. And, and it just was like that constant back and forth and struggle with him to let go so that we could actually innovate the thing in order to be manufacturable. Because yeah. he had this amazing idea and it was a great product and it was definitely uh, an improvement from, you know, in its space as far as, you know, how it worked and all those kinds of things. But same story, it was a liquid product. So it was like, is it a drug? Is it a device? We had to have that conversation with the FDA. And then it wasn't manufacturable and he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let the very intelligent chemist we hired who was trying to figure out how to engineer this thing in a way that could, you know, same end result, but we could actually make it. And uh, yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, well, that was and I, a struggle. Yeah, and I think to your point of letting go, 
is once you get this super talented team around you, that's the kind of culture you have to build of let them own the things they're good at. Let them do the things that you brought them in to do to complement your skill set. We see a ton of them have this like inability to, well, this is my baby. This is my baby. And it's like, oh, it, it was your baby. Now it's it everybody's baby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to let them do what they need to do. Uh, yep. But that comes down to culture big time. Definitely. Definitely. And it starts at the top. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, a little bit of a pivot um, from the guests you've had on your podcast. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite moments or guests yeah. that really surprised you? Yeah. So this one, um, this isn't based on, you know, the most popular episodes that people listen to or anything like that. But I, 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 th- I was thinking more along the lines of these are the ones where I've taken a snippet from the podcast and used it in multiple conversations, right? So the one that sticks out the most, uh, Brian Green was episode one of our MedTech Money series. He was the first person to um, swear on the podcast. Uh, it kind of <laughs> caught me off guard. Um, but it, he was telling a story and it was a hilarious story around raising money. Um, and so that one we always talk about because it's just it's it's an epic story we, we make him tell it anytime he talks at events too uh, <laughs> that we have um nice. so so brian sticks out um and then there were three other ones that i find myself quoting a lot so episode four was lance black um and he uh was talking about understanding the problem that you're trying to solve and not just being um uh, not not just like understanding the problem, an expert in the problem, but actually being a historian of the problem. And what he meant there was understanding how people tried to solve it in the past, when they tried to solve it, and why they failed. Did they fail because of a specific operational problem? Did they fail because their their opportunity window closed because of circumstances they couldn't control? And so um, that one I use quite frequently uh, when doing some consulting work, but also talking in other podcasts. Um, two other ones. Uh, one is uh, Dave Albert. Um, he is the founder and chief medical officer at AliveCore. Um, maybe episode 104 or something in that area. Um, he had said, be an orthogonal thinker. Um, and that one always rings pretty true, right? So it wasn't, hey, if everyone's going this way, you should go in the opposite direction. It was just, hey, if everyone's thinking like this, just go 90 degrees, right? It's you're not going against the stream, but you're you're thinking over here. And and that one I use quite a bit as well, just actually for like a motivational perspective, right? It was, that was just a really cool. Um um I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah that's yeah. uh Bring your yeah. bring your unique perspective. Don't just jump in the boat because everybody's yeah. throwing that way, right? Like, right, you know? yeah, exactly. I like that. I and like then that. the the last one on fundraising was Renee Ryan. She said this on our podcast, and she also said this at our Houston Startup Symposium. Um, someone was asking about fundraising and negotiating with the investors, and who gets better deals, investors or entrepreneurs? Which ways is shifting? People talk about this all the time, and her whole point was like, honestly, I don't really care. Um, cause no one ever died from dilution, uh, but companies do die from running out of cash. And so uh. we use, we use that one quite a bit as well. <laughs> but yeah. did you die? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love right. it. Right. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. That's great time. Well, if you could go back to the start of your career, what would you tell yourself mm. based on what you know now? 
Yeah. Um, patience is key, but don't be too patient. There's there's a fine line. Um, and then I think the biggest thing is when you're starting your career, um, listen and 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 spend more time listening to folks uh, who are experts in the space and then don't ever stop doing that because that's i feel like people get caught up in this transition of well now i'm the subject matter expert or you know and it's like you very well could be but don't stop learning from other people at least for me that's how i learn the best um, and i think it took me a little bit to figure that out of just being around like-minded individuals who are really intelligent and smart and good at what they do and listening to them um, and not talking so much is beneficial. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, especially, I mean, you know, we can talk about how lots of industries are evolving and that sort of thing, but this is an industry for sure that is evolving in leaps and bounds, it feels like. And so if you're not still talking to people and not still learning, then your experience and your knowledge is dated yeah very quickly right very so quickly. are you and and yeah i run into that every now and then it's so frustrating it's like uh you know things have changed you, you we don't have to do iq okpq on software anymore right like <laughs> stuff like that you know and it's yeah. like, come on it's it's you gotta, gotta stay current so that's yeah i like that yeah. 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 And I think following those thought leaders there um, is important. Like sometimes there's this, well, you know, we, we, you, you graduate from school or whatever, and then like you're, you're, you're done learning somehow. Like the industry is just going to stay stagnant for the next 30 years. Yeah. Like that's not nope. reality. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, so a fun question we heard from another guest on uh, a while back on the episode. Uh, and so we ask it all the time now. If I walked into Barnes and Noble, where would I find you? What section? Oh yeah, this is good. Um, that's right. <laughs> I saw this one. So, so, so this would be for me nonfiction. More specifically, like well, I'll just give you a, f- a few of my favorite art- authors. Um, so, like anything in like the human history or how humans think about things or make decisions, right? So, therefore, like, um, uh, so that that's my favorite space. But then, like, uh, uh, Amos Traversky or Danny Kahneman. Um, they were both, um, professors, um, that studied, uh, oh boy, I got to look at this real quick. Um, behavioral economics. So how humans make decisions, right? So they wrote a lot of really fascinating books in that space. So I, I spend a lot of time reading those. And then my other favorite author would be Michael Lewis, who writes in the nonfiction area as well. He actually wrote a, a book on Amos Traversky, and Danny Kahneman called the Undoing Project, but he also wrote um, the Big Short, which was about the financial crisis in 08, um, Moneyball, which is about a baseball team, the o- Oakland Athletics, who, who essentially went to the playoffs and spent zero, like no money compared to everybody else, and then wrote another one called The Blind Side. So those kind of nonfiction, true story books, uh, and then those like psychological ones about. The history of humans and why we make the decisions we make are fascinating for me. Those are interesting. Yeah, the blind yeah. side is that the the story about the football player. That's exactly that it. one. Yeah, yep. God, I yeah. love, I love, love, love mm-hmm. that story so much. Right. Yeah. So Michael Lewis wrote that original book. He wrote one uh, just recently on the pandemic, which um, I'm sure is is controversial because the pandemic somehow became controversial. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a really good book on, on the decision-making process of how everything kind of came about. 
So yeah, he writes some some really good books I like to read. Nice. Yeah, I have yeah. to check I have to check those out. I've read the blind site, but I yeah. have to check out the pandemic one. Cause yeah, yeah, you know, I feel like in this industry, I feel like we're at the center of that controversy, right? I've got friends yeah. who are like, you know, ah, oh, the vaccine's terrible and you know, COVID was just a government thing. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, and then you've got the other side of it. And as a health, you know, someone who's in the healthcare industry, you know, you've got both sides sort of trying to validate their position by talking to you. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And also like, you know, like part of like the, the pandemic piece of it is like, you know, the, the pharma industry got so much attention around this, but then you have like the med tech industry, the diagnostic industry, which like we kind of did. But also, like, it was very short-lived compared to, like, the attention the vaccine gets and still gets. But, like, the rapid COVID tests that came out, all the respirators, the other ways to treat the really sick COVID patients, like, that was all the med tech industry. And sometimes we don't get the the attention that maybe we should. (laughs) No, I totally agree. But, you know, if they don't have that uh p name that rhymes with Iser. they don't make the news right so it's uh <laughs> that's exactly and i it. love those guys i love those mm-hmm. guys don't get me wrong like i think biontech and i always feel the need to emphasize biontech was the right. vaccine company working on it yeah. pfizer just made it possible right that's yeah. how it, and i yeah. love that it made made those pathways more visible i think to to folks right people all of a sudden we had to pull back the curtain and go, why is this taking so long? Why can't yeah. we just go back to our lives tomorrow? Right. It's like, well, because there's a process here. And, you know, then, of course, everybody likes to conspiracy theory, the whole process. But yeah, yeah. Yep. I'll have to read that book. Yeah. Pandemic. That's yeah, really yeah. interesting. Um, <laughs> and, and actually, Kelly, I remembered one thing that I needed to mention, too, um, for the co for the founders piece. Yeah. Is why well, I said it was lonely and you want the co-founders. The other thing, too is if you are going to go down this path, you need to make sure if you have a family, your family is on board because it is a sacrifice for not just you and your decisions. But if you have a family, like for me, I have a wife, a daughter and and another one on the way. Um, If they're not on, thank you. If they're not (laughs) on board, um, that could create some stress too. Cause there are going to be those, you know, stressful situations that they're involved in as well. I mean, from a financial standpoint, but also um, helping you deal with the stresses and the wild ride of being a, a founder CEO. Yeah, definitely. Cause it's yeah. your problem. It's not like working for another company where you can leave it at, at the office when you, you know, five o'clock. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. is a different, uh, and and too, I think the number of of those risks that that don't make it, Correct. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's some definite, you know, valley of death situations in the in the whole industry that that you know the number of things that you try to get through that fail, people don't realize how big that number is. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So definitely, I wanted to share that as well. Yeah. No, important. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you yeah. brought that back up because yeah. yeah. I, I think people just to get well, and there, there's a little bit of a personality type there. I think in my experience, mm-hmm. and they are they're they're exciting, they're innovators, they're entrepreneurs, they're visionaries, and and then yeah, the ones that decide to take that vision forward and actually turn it into operational execution. Uh, again, those are not always the same personality, um, but because we're always so bootstrapped for cash, we kind of have to, right? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I can I I have seen 
the toll that takes on on family. Like I said, I've been supporting those kinds of companies myself for a lot of years, and and you see that toll. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Excellent. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. Where can folks go to connect with you and and follow along on uh, your company's progress? Yeah. Uh, www.projectmedtech.com. Pretty straightforward. Um, we're very active on uh, LinkedIn um, and myself and the the Project MedTech page. And um, outside of that, you can you know catch us at industry events. We also host our own events, but that's all on the uh, website. Excellent. Well, thank you yeah. so much. It was uh, it's good to catch up with you again, and we'll we'll have to we'll have to have another follow up here in the future. Sounds great, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time. <laughs>